This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 47 to 62. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, replied Peter. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Liz. Good morning, everyone. Morning. My name's Eleanor. I'm the associate vicar here. Um, and it's really good to be uh, thinking about this passage uh, this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we continue our journey through uh, the Gospel of Luke, um, we find ourselves today in this passage. And I pray, Lord, as we look at these words, that we would see you afresh, that we would know more of who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, just a little bit of a disclaimer. I, when I put these slides together, I didn't realise, by looking on my computer screen, that there's a tent in that picture. 
because I doubt there was a tent when they were sitting by the fireside. In case anyone's looking, um, I thought I would just, just say that at the start. Anyway, just uh, to, to get us... Th- now you're all looking at it, aren't you? I just shouldn't have said anything. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, so there's lots that happens in this passage, isn't there? And, and we can't spend all of our time focusing on all of it this morning. So what I'm going to do particularly is look at what happened to Peter in this passage. But before I do that, I do want to just point out a couple of things uh, from the first part of this passage as Jesus um, is arrested. First thing to point out is something about the betrayal. So we have the betrayal of Judas in this passage. And just hold on to the fact that Judas doesn't just come up to them them and go, this is Jesus, this is the one you want. He comes to kiss Jesus. Now, the kiss would have been a sign of brotherly love. It would have been a sign of of friendship. Yet Judas uses it in a really different way here. And I think that's just something we need to hold on to in what happens uh, with uh, Judas um, and Jesus here. I'm not going to say any more about that, but I I, I just love that fact that there's something really powerful in the fact that Judas comes to Jesus and and kisses him. What does that say about the betrayal here? Something that I hadn't particularly really thought about before. I'm just going to leave that one with you. There we go. Uh, The second uh, thing, just to bring out briefly, is something about the swords in this passage. Um, Earlier in the chapter, in verse 36, we read it last week, Jesus says to the disciples, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, we need to hold on to this, that that it's likely that Jesus didn't mean that the disciples would be using these swords for violence, but that it was a a sort of warning of what was to come. Although, um, at that point in the passage um, that I've just read those words there, uh, the disciples somehow find two swords at that point. They suddenly go, oh, here's two swords. Um, But actually, Jesus isn't talking here about violence for, for them. And when we get to the point of Jesus' arrest, the disciples presume that this is the time for them to use these swords. But even so, the disciple who gets his sword out, um, it doesn't tell us which one it is in this passage, but in uh, John, um, we're, we're told it's Peter. We discover that he's not really that good a name anyway, is he? He sort of chops off the ear of uh, the high priest's servant, turning the high priest's servant into Van Gogh. And aside, actually, I am... Um, Few, many years ago, I was a schools worker in Manchester, and me and some friends wrote a musical called This Man Called Jesus, and uh, we acted it out with a bunch of year four children, and um, the, the children loved this part of the story. They loved the fact that this ear got chopped off, and they loved working out how to act out Jesus sort of sticking it back on, and I just love, I love it. It's just so funny, but... Um, it's, it's an amazing moment, isn't it, that, that the disciples go, well, I'm just going to do that. But what do we learn from that? We learn that even as Jesus is being arrested, what does he do? He heals a man there to help arrest him. He doesn't just leave him there. He shows that he's, he's there for peace. He's not there for fighting at this time. And that's a reminder that the reason that Jesus stops the disciples using their swords and clubs at that time is because at that time, rebel leaders who were arrested were often arrested and then tortured and killed alongside those who were with them. And of course, it was vital that that didn't happen to the disciples because they needed to be free to then go on and tell the good news of the kingdom 
of God. Then we get to the arrest. I just want to point out a couple of things. Firstly, notice who comes to arrest Jesus. We find it's the chief priests, it's officers of the temple guard, it's the elders. And it really points out to us just how much they want to get Jesus at this point. But also notice when they come to arrest him. They come at night. They come in the cover of darkness. You know, Jesus has always taught in the open, hasn't he? On the, uh, in the light, on the mountainside, in the temple courts. Yet the arrest happens almost in secret with some temple officials to oversee the proceedings. And Jesus points this out to them. He says this in verse 53. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Literal and spiritual darkness as Jesus is led away. So they don't arrest him in public. They arrest him in darkness, in secret. Just a few things there to point out, to bring out from that arrest of Jesus. I want to want to spend the rest of this morning, and not the whole morning, obviously, the next few minutes anyway, is thinking about Peter and how he disowns, how he denies Jesus in this passage. Just to say that this is a, it's a really important passage. It's in all four of the Gospels. And in case you're wondering, um, and you've read some of the other Gospels, sometimes we find in the other Gospels that, that different people are um, described as speaking to Jesus at this point um, in those sort of three encounters. But that shouldn't cause us too much, too many issues, because remember that there's a few people sitting around here. And maybe a question from one is then repeated by another. And the gospel writers report different people saying these questions or these challenges. Because the main theme remains the same in this passage, whichever one you look at in whichever gospel. And that is that Peter denies knowing Jesus. So just for a moment, I want to encourage you to picture the scene. It's a cold evening. Uh, Maybe um, we're feeling a little bit of that this morning. It's probably around March, April time. It's Passover. Jesus has been arrested. And the guards take Jesus to the house of the high priest. And then what we discover is that Peter follows at a distance. And it seems that he's the only disciple to do this. The others have run away. Although John uh, suggests that there was another with him, likely to be John. So Peter does remain true to his word, the word that he says in Luke 22, verse 33, to begin with at least. And at that verse, he says this, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But as we know, he's, he's incognito here, isn't he? he? He follows at a distance and he's not as ready as he says he is. Then, A fire is lit in the middle of the courtyard, which the house overlooks. Maybe you can act out sitting by that fire at this moment, rubbing your hands together if you need to this morning. I know my hands feel a little bit cold, um, but there they are in the courtyard. There's a crowd of people, probably including those who were there at Jesus' arrest. 
And over the next while, Peter is challenged, not once, not twice, but three times. So let's look at those. Firstly then, he's challenged by a servant girl. Verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. So what we see there is that the the, um, servant girl looks closely at at, at Peter. It's like she's studying him. She she recognizes him and she's working out where from. Maybe we've all done that at times when we've seen someone and thought, "I, I think I know them. I had that this week at the New Wine Leadership Conference when there were a couple of people who waved at me and I sort of waved back thinking, I need to work out how I know them. Please don't let them come up at this point because I can't remember. But this woman, this servant girl, she looks intentionally, looks closely at him and begins to work out because then it dawns on her. This man was with him. Of course, she's meaning that Peter was with Jesus. Now, the first thing to say is that we need to hold on to something about who she is at this point. You know, she is a servant girl. She's not really a threat to Peter. She's a servant and female. And at the time, she would have been pretty insignificant. Also, notice that, you know, Peter and the disciples aren't under any arrest. They're not being investigated themselves. So there really is no threat to Peter at this point. But even so... Peter replies in the way he does, saying that he doesn't know Jesus. Actually, at this point, he he doesn't deny that he was there, but he makes it clear that he doesn't know Jesus. He says, I don't know him. So what we could say is that Peter takes the easy way out, really, doesn't he? He sort of says, no, I don't know him. And what it does is it shows us his fear. It shows us the fear of being found out. And we can probably all understand that, can't we? Now, he's just witnessed his master being arrested. He's scared. He, he doesn't really get it. He doesn't have the, the benefit of hindsight. You know, we know the whole story. Even though Peter has witnessed Jesus performing miracles, even though he said he won't disown Jesus, fear takes over. And maybe Peter sees the threats around him. He's amongst the enemy, those who were with him when Jesus was arrested. But notice only also that Peter doesn't run away either. That only really dawned on me this week, you know, as I was thinking about this passage. Because the easiest way out for Peter would have been to run away, to make his excuses and go. So something kept him there. I wonder whether any of that resonates with you. Maybe when you've been asked about your faith or if you go to church and you've been afraid to answer, yet you know somehow it's important to be there. The second challenge is uh, something that goes a bit further than the first. He's asked, you are also one of them. So, He's not here just saying that he was there, but that he was one of the disciples. Having already denied knowing Jesus, Peter's really left with no option, isn't he really, other than to say he's not one of those disciples. Again, there's a fear of being found out then, isn't there? And he simply answers, man, I am not. 
I wonder, has anyone ever asked you whether you're a Christian? What has been your response? That's really what Peter is being asked, isn't it? There is, again, a fear, a fear of being associated with something that got his leader arrested. Then the third challenge. And this is more serious with more detail. We read this. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Now notice, about an hour has gone by. An hour has passed. Maybe they've just all been sort of sitting there silently, warming their hands by the fire, or chatting about what was going on. Maybe the man who challenges Peter has been sitting there pondering, thinking, coming to recognize Peter in more detail as the light of the fire glows. And he says, certainly this fellow was with him. And then he speaks into Peter's identity as a Galilean. It's probably Peter's accent that gives him away. It's a very clear challenge though, isn't it? But Peter's denial is is just as clear. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Fear has once again led him to denial. But as we read, as Peter is speaking, the cock crows and Jesus looks straight at him. Now, we don't know where Jesus was at this point. Maybe he's looking out from the house. Maybe he's been moved through the courtyard at that moment. But it is in this look from Jesus which reminds Peter of Jesus' prophecy about him denying Jesus. You can maybe imagine the cold shiver that might have gone through Peter as he hears the sound of the cockerel, as he looks into the eyes of his master, as he realizes what he has done. Because fear has led him to deny knowing Jesus three times. And his response Well, it's powerful, isn't it? He goes and weeps bitterly. The effect of this denial is shattering. And it all happens because of fear. The fear of being associated with Jesus. The fear of being identified. The fear of being accused. And I'm sure I'm not speaking alone when I say that fear can grip us so easily, can't it? That fear of owning up to knowing Jesus, to being a follower, to walking with him and worshipping him. Fear of what others might say or do. This week, um, we've been in Harrogate at the New Wine Leadership Conference. And I was really challenged about this and many other things as well. And I was challenged about how easy it is to find yourselves betraying or denying Jesus because you haven't recognized your own weaknesses. One that really struck me was the whole area of failure. Because we can look around at the church and we can see, sadly, how many prominent leaders have failed in recent years because they have fallen to their weaknesses. Whether that's something to do with the world or the flesh or the devil. And we see it here in Peter, and we see it in Judas as well. Their weaknesses are exposed. The fear takes over, and they betray and deny. I wonder how it is for you. What is it that makes you fearful 
of saying you know Jesus. Because actually, when we say we know him, amazing things can happen. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of a holiday uh, me and my uh, friend went on. Um, we were in a, in a hotel, um, and it was all-inclusive, um, and it wasn't the best all-inclusive, so um, lots of people talked to each other because we were sort of sharing stories. And uh, me and my friend were just sitting there most evenings chatting and somehow talking to everyone around us because... It's just what we like. Um, and anyway, um, gradually, people started asking us, so what do you do? <laughs> and it's at this point on holiday that I think now, do I say? Do I say what I do? Do I say I work for a charity? What, what do I do? So I said, I'm a vicar. And they're like, oh. And they said to my friend, so what do you do? And my friend's like, I'm a vicar as well. <laughs> and uh, we had lots and lots of people coming up to us, asking us lots of questions. And to be honest, on that holiday, it was only a week, I did more ministry in a week than I normally do in a month. It was incredible. We had people coming up to us, um, asking us about whether they should stay in their marriage. Someone asked us about spiritual warfare. It was, it was incredible, really. We went out for one night with a couple of women who actually lived in, happened to live in the town I was from at that point. And um, they asked us all sorts of questions. And that was partly because we admitted to what we did. But at no point was anyone horrible about us. At no point did anyone say anything negative. Oh, you're those Christians. No one did anything that was negative. In fact, at the end of the holiday, someone came up to us and said, is it true you're both vicars? <laughs> and we were like, yes. They said, well, if church was like that when I was growing up, I'd still be in church now, which was a lovely comment, sad at the same time. Um, but it was amazing. Now, of course, when people ask you what you do and you can say you're a vicar, it does open conversations up in a, in a way that it might not um, for other people. But there was still a fear there from our perspective about admitting what we do. But the thing is, it got me thinking, you know, what are we fearful of? Because people do respond positively when we say who we are and who we trust and who we worship and who we believe in. Last week um, in Harrogate, we were very fortunate to hear Pastor Agu, who is the senior pastor of Jesus House for All Nations. Interestingly, I found out that he studied and graduated from Warwick University. Anyway, and he said this week something which is going to stick with me for a long time. And this was a brilliant line. This is a paraphrase. But he said something like, if you're slandered on social media for your faith, so what? Go and eat a steak. Just, I mean, just a fascinating line, really. The fact is, yes, there will be those who don't like what we say, who don't like that we love Jesus. But the fear is probably greater than the outcome, in this country at least. You know, let's keep, as Carolyn did, praying for Christians who are fearful for their lives every day because of their faith. But they do keep sharing and standing up for their faith. Let's pray for those who are international students, as we've just heard, who come to this country, maybe very fearful because of their home situation, because of what is going on in their home nations, who may well be fearful for their lives. Because if we look here at Peter, even here, nothing happens to him from those who speak to him, even though it's likely they knew he was denying things. 
Actually, what is worse than giving to the fear here for Peter is the realization that he's let his master down. And that leads me to a question. What are you more fearful of? Are you more fearful of the world, your colleagues, family, friends? Or are you more fearful of God? Of course, we know that the fear of the Lord is not about being scared. It's about worship and honor as well as the reverence for holiness and the holiness and the might of God. Many of us may well be more fearful of others. But who is it that holds eternity in his hands? It's the Lord. And I believe that's a really important question for each one of us because I do believe we're being called to stand up and be counted for our faith. So that when we're by that sort of metaphorical fireside, we're asked and we're asked, do you know him? We are able to say yes. Why don't you come to know him too? One more thing just to finish with this morning. And that is the outcome for Peter and for Judas as well. The outcome for both of them is very different. We don't see Judas realizing his mistake in the same way. Same way. We don't see his remorse, but in, it's different with Peter. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, as Peter prophesies about what Peter will go on to do, he says this, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Last week, Andy reminded us that Jesus prays for us. Here we see those prayers answered. Yes, Peter does deny Jesus, but he turns back. He realizes the error of his ways. He's full of remorse and regret. And his call is going to be to strengthen other disciples, as we'll see in Acts. Final picture I want to show you, a picture that I took in May by the side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is the reinstatement of Peter by Jesus. It's a beautiful statue. It shows a hope. It shows a reminder of the fact that even when we mess up, like Peter, and we realize with remorse what we've done, there is something so beautiful available to us in Jesus. And so I want to finish with a video. I showed it in the evening service and at midweek as well before, but it reminds us of what we find in Jesus. This is Jesus and Peter talking on a beach. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. 
that is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter, you said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable that's my grace it's not about you it's always about me that's grace Peter I love that video it's so beautiful and it just reminds us of God's grace can I invite you to stand with me if you're able and let's pray before we sing our final song. We'll all be here in, in different places. Some of us will be resonating with that, that sort of idea of fear, fear of owning up to knowing Jesus. Maybe others of us just need to recognize that Jesus made what is unforgivable, forgivable. And that because of his grace, we are free and forgiven. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you gave your life for us. That even when we mess up, there is grace. There is love, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is redemption. Thank you because of your cross we can know that we are your children that we can say I am a child of God help us as we go from this place to go understanding and knowing that more deeply than we came when we came would you speak into our fear and bring us your peace and your grace in Jesus name Amen. Amen.